You know what that sound means? It's another episode of Game for a Movie, where we ask, are you game for a movie? Tell me, Andre. There's no special features on that goddamn DVD, all right? Oh, wow. For Hansel and Gretel? Gretel? Hansel and Gretel. You have the DVD of Hansel and Gretel. She basically has sex with it, somehow. Foreplay. Yes. She's she's chair foreplay. I mean, they knocked out the park, which is why it's my number three. Oh! Oh. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't be in it, because this movie doesn't have women. But, you know, that's why I was making right. It has one? You would have three lines of dialogue. So I'm actually going to get, like, I actually get, like, I earn my, my my four sentences of dialogue rather than like here on a paycheck. You just stood there on the screen. You're a sexy lamp. Because they really hate each other, so we get to enjoy some wonderful comedic scenes of them hating each other so much that they get into physical altercations that include her biting detective ex detective Phillips's dick. Okay. But we don't okay. I, I know all of those words were English, but the way you <laughs> constructed yeah, them, I'm lost. Right. Not, I'm not following the racism <laughs> very well. For those who haven't rated us or uh, liked or given us a review, don't say that we haven't given you anything of value after listening to this podcast. You now know the difference between an R-rated dick and an NC-17 X-rated dick. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to Game for a Movie, where we ask, are you game for a movie? We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Scary ghost, creepy serial killers, all things that go bump in the night. Enjoy the view from the open shutters. <laughs>Creepsers, I'm Barry Marino. I'm Philip Landry. And welcome to Open Shutters, sponsored by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Isn't that so? We do it every week. Every Twice week. a week now. Sometimes <laughs> triple. And uh, we'll take this opportunity. If we feel the burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might feel the burn. You never know. Uh, we want to take this opportunity to plug our other podcast, Open Shutters Goes to the Movies. What was it we just finished reviewing on Open Shows Goes to the Movies? The Exorcist! Oh! <laughs> oh, great movie. Scary as hell. Especially when they did the spinal tap scene. That was the scariest part. <laughs> no, that's the only part I scarved on. The rest I was... And him falling down the stairs. I felt that, too. I don't know. Just the spinal tap. That was all for I know, me. I've fallen before, so maybe that's why I had a little post-traumatic so. stress oh, there. Anyway, uh, so uh, what is going on, Philip? How are you? Today? We got to send out some birthday wishes for you know who. Who? Our best friend, Curtis. Oh. It's his birthday week. Happy birthday, Curtis. He's I, a, he, I got two birthday dinners. I had to pay for one of them. I didn't have to pay for the other one. <laughs> he's our favorite Leo. We call him St. Curtis. Of the wayward children and pets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he, he takes in his wayward people. But you know what? 
He he loves having his little family here. He'd hate to be alone. And he really has a heart of gold. Yeah, like, he does. He does. And, and, and he all takes all us way with kids in. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, some other news in our little family. Oh, yeah. Will, Tell them about the new vehicle. Will Iraz got, uh, got a... Uh, Chrysler Pacifica. It's an old older car. It's a 2017. But God, it is beautiful. Have you seen? It's, you rode it. I in rode it. it yeah, we all did. Yeah, we all did for Curtis's birthday. Yeah, I actually <laughs> felt like there was a gap of space between me and William. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my little Kia Soul doesn't have that gap of space. We weren't feeling like we were crammed in a clown car, you know? Oh, stop it! I do not drive a clown car. <laughs> no, I didn't mean your car, but the other car before. Never mind. Oh, I know what you meant. I know which one you meant. Yeah. So, oh, that one that yeah, that one that Curtis had that Mitsubishi Mirage that really was a car. car. <laughs> so, medically, I've been having some weeks here. They totally have reorganized a lot of my meds and reorganized my diabetes. The pandemic has not overly been kind, but we're getting it in order. And so, I'm trying to be a lot of hope. I'm trying to be hopeful right now. Yeah, well, I have a doctor's appointment on September 2nd, and I'm scared. I know I have not been eating right, and I know that A1C is not going to be good, and I know that doctor is going to be so mad at me. And now I also have a, uh, I'm not so worried about the one I have ne- the month after that, or later in the month. It's an eye doctor, because we got that situation under control with the eyes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just take my eye drops, and I'll be okay. But I'm not, not real crazy about what's going on with I'm not real crazy about my diabetes. I have not been taking care of myself. I've been eating all wrong. And that nurse practitioner is going to read me the filth. Well, I heard you almost hurt somebody else's medical. I heard you almost killed somebody. You gave an old man a heart attack. Oh, okay. You know, I told y'all guys, you guys know where I'm working. I work in the adult video store and theater. And we also, and we had the little booths in the back. And one of the customers came to me. And said that his um, his his tick he accidentally hit on one of the live webcams and he didn't want to and it wouldn't go back or something. And I go there, I open the door. There's this old man in there, got to be like 83 years old at least, uh, old and frail as can be. And I'm just and I'm pissed because he's in this man's booth, using up this man's money. And I said, "What are you doing in here? Get out of here!" And he looked like, "Oh!" And he, <laughs> and he ran away. And next thing I know, I'm at, I'm fixing the man's ticket, doing something else, and he's I see him because I was I was really planning on sneaking out the I was really planning on apologizing him when he comes in, and I see him and he's like sneaks out, and I looked on the camera because we had the monitor in the parking lot, and he's running to his car, and you haven't lived until you've seen an 83 year old man run. <laughs> you you really poor poor. You know, gave him a stress test and everything. Yeah, well, our eyes works there, too. And he told him today, he says, that guy scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I said, well, I didn't really mean to scare him. I was just didn't want him stealing from anybody. And you see, this man does is We give out little tickets with um, those little codes on the top and that's those credits for them to see the movie or play on the webcam or whatever and i had this old man come to me with a bunch of them looked like they were hidden in the trash to see if there's any credit on them 
Yeah. And he's like, goes through the trash to find tickets with credits on them. <laughs> this old man just trying to get his thrill on. And he's trying to get his thrill on, but he got to pay like everybody else. Got to pay like everybody else. I don't care if he is on Social Bless Security. So Bless him. Bless him. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, it does make... I don't, I, I, it's terrible. I shouldn't laugh at scaring that pool, so... But, oh, it's funny. So you're now the killer of old men? Oh, God, I hope not. Is that your not. new title? I hope not, because that would make me suicidal. <laughs> oh, I've Lord. probably killed a few old men. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> so let's go ahead on a more serious note. Uh, you have some obits for us. Yes, just two this week. And, but before we do obits, we have to mention uh, both of us, uh, our hearts really go out. To the people of Haiti, uh, they, it's just like one friend said, Haiti is like, as a country, is like that friend that never gets a break, and you just feel so much pain and sorrow for them mm. because I mean they the another earthquake. I mean they. Had I remember when they had the last the last one, one, which was just a little over a decade ago. Um, but this time they actually had an earthquake, and now they had a tropical storm actually pass after the earthquake. So, not making it a very good rescue situation. That's it. Oh um, but, yeah, definitely structures from... And, and I mean, we were saying, you know, they showed whole hotels crumbled. An entire, like, they showed voodoo temple, like, went down kind of the hill or whatever. Oh, so, man. I mean, and if anyone understands why I'm bringing up um, the Corona Voodoo Temple, is a lot of people need to understand Haitian Voodoo is a really big influence on what became New Orleans Voodoo. Yeah, because uh, Sally, who's like the Voodoo Queen, yes. here, you know her, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she she has a, a, a connection with Haiti. As a matter of fact, when the last earthquake, she had this 90 year old Voodoo priest came and lived with her because his home was destroyed. So when this happens, like for New Orleans, we, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever you want to call it. There's, yeah. a, there's an energy, especially because of the voodoo community here, the voodoo community there. There truly is a connection to Haiti. So when the rest of the country is just like, you know, just maybe feeling sad or saying, oh my God, there's poor people. New Orleans actually feels like it's culturally like this family member. Well, not only that, we know strangers are disasters family. ourselves. Yeah, we understand that. But yeah, but there is there I mean, is the spiritual. COVID was family. something that we shared with the whole country. Yeah. And but we had Hurricane Katrina, and we had the oil spill. Yeah. You know, so we not uh, we have things that happen here. Yeah. That. But our cultures is what I'm saying yeah. are very connected. Yeah, kind of intertwined. And so it's real, and it always has been from early on, and, and, and will always be. So our hearts really go out um, to the people of yeah. Haiti, and we hope they get some recovery real soon, and we can see. Hopefully, we we step in where we're able to. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we're gonna get on to these obits, right? Yes. Yeah, see, the first one I'm gonna do is uh, James Hormel, America's first openly gay ambassador. He died at 88. To Luxembourg. As well. He was the ambassador to Luxembourg, and he was appointed by President Bill Clinton despite fierce opposition from the right. 
Um, he was a philanthropist and grandfather of the founder of Hormel Foods. He served as ambassador to Luxembourg under President Bill Clinton. His nomination process was met with public opposition, spearheaded by conservative Republicans who portrayed Mr. Hormel as a sinner and equated being gay to having an addiction or being a kleptomaniac. He po uh, uh, President Clinton posted him first in 1997. He had, been, he had been openly gay for three decades. The man was openly gay since the 1960s. And he had an impressive record of accomplishments. He was dean of universities at the dean of students at the University of Chicago Law School from 1961 to 1967. He established the James C. Hormel Public Service Program to encourage law students students to go into public service. And in the early 1990s, he was an alternate representative of the U.S. delegation in the 51st United Nations General Assembly. He was founder director of the City Club in San Francisco and the director of the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. He was also chairman of Equidix, a San Francisco-based company that manages the Hormel family's uh, philanthropic and investments in the position he would continue to hold for years. Now, okay, a man like that is a sinner and stupid. Anyway, his, his nomination was an issue for uh, Senator James Inhofe of Oklahoma, Tim Hutchinson of Arkansas, and Robert Smith of New, of New Hampshire. And they raised 11th hour objections as the Senate was pushing to confirm nominees in the session's final days that year. The Senate Majority Leader Trent Locke of Mississippi ultimately blocked the Senate from voting on the nomination. And um, they cited his political views and his gay rights activism as reasons to oppose his nomination. Oh, Lord. Okay. I can't say anything more about that because I'm trying to keep everything apolitical. Um, but that's important. It still is important because he, think about... Were it not for the step to make him an ambassador, would we be seeing now Pete Buttigieg as a Secretary of Transportation? This is true. So you have to look. It has to start with someone. So we always like to highlight when there is a person who was a first. So thank, thank you, James Hormel, for yes. being yourself, for being in that spot, holding that place. For those in the community, and I hate to talk about it too much because it actually makes me angry. It really does, and I don't want. But let's to let's no. But it more look at the positive. I'm trying to get you to look at the positive. Is that yeah. he he did serve, he did. Yes. All right. Let's move on to our next one. Is Sonny Chiba, the martial arts star of Bill Kill, died of COVID complications. He was 82. He was a star of martial arts cinema in his native Japan, and he made his name by landing heart-stopping punches and stabbing fictional foes in the throats with only his fingers. His relentless on-screen inspired action auteurs like director Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino and Keanu actor Keanu Reeves to emulate his style in their own work and thrill villains when they were to cover their eyes. Oh, he was a very talented um, martial artist whose uh, renown grew in films like The Street Fighter and the Kill Bill series. He was 82 years old. Rest in peace, 
Sunny Chiba. All right, so where are we now? You, you know what's happening. It's horoscope time. It's horoscope time. It's horoscope time. It's horoscope time. <laughs> You're it's trying to be cheerful time. because I think I went really dark this week. <laughs> I don't know if it was because of being a medical I'm gonna get again. That, I'm going to get, get that Howdy Doody song recorded somehow. But I've now decided to take all the signs and isolate them into their own little personal hellscape nightmare spaces. Well, since our second uh, half and our, our, our true crime cover this week is very, very, very dark, I guess this goes with it. I guess it's fitting. So I'm going to place y'all all in some... It's kind of like landscapes or cityscapes or whatever kind of scape you want to call it, except it's not so pleasant. So let's start with Aries. Aries. The floor is lava when one is in the belly of the beast. Suffocation of ash surrounds and smoke obstructs the view of the feet. The magma consumes its prize with wrath and malice. Oh, good lord. This is per. <laughs> oh, God. What? All right, man. What to say. If they're just saying that cheery little song too. Mm. That ain't cheery at all. That ain't cheery at all. Not a, not even a little bit. Not even a smidgen. Yeah. <laughs> and here I am. I mean, Aries is a virgin. It's kind of like they're in the virgin in the volcano. Is what's going on. Oh, and here I am. You're just getting even at me, just scream, even with me for scaring that old man, huh? <laughs> well, first of all, I don't think he was a virgin, and I don't think we're throwing him in a volcano. Well, I, 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 no, no, no. But I, he did have to deal with your wrath and malice <laughs> <laughs> overnight. Overnight. Was he an Aries? I don't know. We'll never know. I have no to. idea. That's a good boy's birthday. <laughs> That's funny. When he comes in tomorrow, and I have to apologize <laughs> to him for scaring him like that. <laughs> well, moving along, we got Taurus. Well, uh, what moving can be done, right? Uh, <laughs> Taurus, crumbling underground parking garage with high beam halogen lights strung up above cold stainless steel tables that are placed in between the lines of each parking space. Oh, oh the lines on the parking space always scare me anyway. I mean, is that like a makeshift trauma zone? Oh, is this like this. human experimentation in an apocalyptic world? I don't know. Who knows? You figure it out. Only the show I'm not knows. giving you what's happening. I'm just giving you the setting. Okay? No. Yeah. <laughs> With that said, let's move along to Gemini. Gemini. Eternal midnight in a moonlit hedge labyrinth. That extends as far as the eyes can see. Ooh. With no visible entrance or exit. The shrubbery is rustling and the path is darkening. Oh. At least they got a game they can play. You know, yeah. they got they just there's what's the objective when there's no real entrance or exit, right? Mm. What game oh. are they going to play? Unless they went to Target before they came, they went into that little <laughs> hole and bought all kinds of board games. <laughs> oh, good Lord. All right, Target itself could be a labyrinth at times. <laughs> oh, I used to work there. It is a labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we've 
arrived at your wonderful sign of cancer. Yeah, we already passed out Ross. That was the last one. Yeah. Huh? We got he's him. stuck in the little box. Yeah, he's like the little mouse in it the box. It better be a bigger box. <laughs> <laughs> he's more of the guinea pig in the box than the mouse, is what you're trying to say? No, more mm. the, um, the, the, um, the hedgehog in the box. Or the rhino. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, that went there. Yes, we went there. Cancer. Oh. Bleak seashore with gray clouds, gray sand, and even gray water to add to the bitter waves of yesteryear's memories. Oh, you would put me on the beach. Only sign of past glory is a tattered beach umbrella amongst the dunes and dead grass. A dead beach. <laughs> A live beach is bad enough. Yeah, maybe you're on a dead one. Oh, Lord. Okay, so what's poor Curtis got, the birthday boy? Oh, yeah, Leo. Leo. The view from the top of the mountain may be spectacular were it not for the four-inch ledge keeping one from falling into the jagged, razor-sharp rocks in the ravine below. You're going to want to throw poor rogue Curtis in the rocks in the ravine below. He's just got to keep his balance. <laughs> oh, that's... that's yeah, that, that, On a four-inch ledge. It's like a fucking balance beam. He can't keep his balance on the goddamn floor. How's he going to keep it on a four-inch ledge? <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, who's next? Virgo. Oh... <laughs> What you got to say before oh. I do it? Before I say what it is, what you got to say? You feel like you got to say something. I'm just that song comes to mind right now. Seems it never rains in Southern California. <laughs> you remember that song? It's about some guy that goes to California, think he's going to be a big old star. And it turns out he's, he's like on the street. And somebody that knows him sees him and he tells him not to tell his family. That they tell, tell him that he, he's getting all these offers that he can't take out. And he made it in the movies. Anybody watches a movie? The shade, honey. The, <laughs> the shade and the shadows. Wow, Barry. I'm going to oh. leave that alone and just read what Virgo's thing is. Yeah. Okay? I'm okay, not going to say Virgo. Subsided ruins of an ancient temple with its stones mm. holding the breath of long past prayers and the blood of sacrifices of the old ways. Uh-huh. Be wary of what has been in slumber, for if awakened may require an offering. Do we know what that offering is? <sighs> I mean, I'm glad y'all had not actually seen what's the happening. The gesture I just made. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, that was a really moment. You're going to maybe have to take a couple of walks back. <laughs> I'm going to have to give you a Xanax to calm down after yeah, this. <laughs> Lord. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shit. Well, calming down or not calming down, let's move along to Libra. That's your mama. Yeah, my mama. I don't know if she'd like this. She may or may not. I don't know. Thick, overgrown jungle with a canopy making day look like night and night look like the absence of all light. But she didn't like him Ev- fun. Every being is a danger. From shadow cats to snakes on vines to the vines themselves. Oh. Even the air within is potent. 
to trap the mind and lose all its reason. Ooh. Ooh. Well. Some toxic plants in the jungle. That sounds like some Jumanji stuff going on there. Yeah. I don't think she would like the jungle, but she wasn't a big old animal fan. Welcome to the jungle. (laughs) Then she might run into a giraffe. (laughs) And Lance sends me the cutest picture of a giraffe on um, <laughs> on a Facebook message and I was like why didn't you buy it for me you scared the giraffes I was like that's stuffed ones what was that little giraffe thing I found at uh, I found at um, Target you were talking about Target there was was that a was that a what was that little there was some little it was like in the children's school supplies it was a giraffe thing it was funny yeah oh I think I, I was know. trying to horrify you with that why you know, y'all horrifying me with cute giraffes you're supposed to horrify me with real ones like you did at the zoo when those things came they, oh are we just waiting for the weather to get cooler and we're gonna drag you back to the zoo don't and y'all worry y'all took me to that zoo and put me by the and that giraffe put its head right by me how, what kind of color? What color did I turn after that? Ooh, Lord, you know, you turned a whole bunch of colors and looked like you was about to pass the hell out. I thought I was gonna die right there. I, 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 I know how that old man feels. Oh, uh, really? Really? What are you searching for, Stella? I'm searching for that picture I wanted to show you. I know. Look at it that way. Just well, why are you searching for that? I'm gonna move on to my 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 ratchet ass sign of Scorpio. And let them know what's going on. Pitch dark in a rundown mine shaft, with only the occasional sound of a fluttering bat or the echo of spirits trapped below. The way out is shut, but the way deeper in is calling. Oh, is that that's you? Yeah. Oh, they always Although, give yourself the easy ones. Uh, <laughs> I might actually enjoy being trapped in a mine shaft. I can't wait to see what you're shaft. doing to your, your husband. Being now. trapped in a mine shaft just gives me more chance to go find some stones, you know, so that if I do find a way out, I could, you know. Nothing else, I might talk to the, you know, the little creatures that live in there or whatever. If there are any. Sagittarius. Oh, yeah, that's my man, Sagittarius. Yeah. My partner. Ah, library of empty scrolls and books full of blank pages providing no answers and no hope. A solitary flame in a fire pit at the center of the edifice. The choice? To burn the paper for warmth or try and fight the barriers to thought? You know, I know some Sagittarius and they are control freaks. And they don't like it. And that sounds like they lose all kinds of control there when they can't even look up anything in the library. Ooh, baby. It's be like if I got my phone and I can't, I can't uh, research a movie actor or something after I see him at the movies. Oh, no, because you know Sagittarius is always like to have access to prove their point. Yes. So be not having access to that, oh, my God, that would just kill them. And oh. the sad point is they're stuck by themselves in there, which is even worse. So they don't just... Y'all got to look at this closely. They don't just have no evidence to prove their point. They have no one to prove their point to. Oh, yeah. There's a couple more things you could read through that if y'all want, but I'll leave that to the imagination. 
Talking about imagination. Oh, more imagination. Figments of your imagination. Let's talk about Capricorn. Oh, no. You know who that is. Yes, your Your partner. I know. Your, your bedtime story partner. My bedtime story partner. <laughs> well, here is what he's going to be stuck with. Oh, my goodness. Endless swampy forest with no leaves. Its branches grasp at the cold mist for a chance to stab the life of what is left. Oh. Owl hoots pierce the silence in this quagmire with no clear trail a soul must trespass. The quagmire, the giggly, giggly guy on uh, Family Yeah, guy. but a quagmire is also like a like a like all boggy kind of ground land, and you kind of sink in. A little so bit. the giggly, giggly guy's land, it, it, um, named after boggy kind of land. Pretty much, Aquarius. I don't know why I'm sounding so excited about Age Aquarius. I feel like I'm about to. I feel like I'm about to be like, ooh, and then I'm gonna be like, oh shit, that's what they're gonna be saying. Desolation of a desert wasteland with the sun beating down on the cracked earth as vultures circle above. Hoping on mirages and dreaming a gin will emerge from the rolling dust storms to quench the thirst and desperation. Oh my goodness gracious. These, they got some thirsty aquarists. Thirsty <laughs> They're going to be looking for that spring. I hope they don't find that spring that them National um, Lampoon Vacation family found. Sorry to say there's no midnight at always. <laughs> Sorry. Y'all, gonna, y'all, camel has, y'all camel has long been put to bed and is now just bones. What did they think that, that cesspool was? They thought it was a hot mud spring or something? Oh, wait. <laughs> in, in a new vacation movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, they were wallowing in. They thought they were wallowing in this exotic uh, mud, and they were actually wallowing in, um, let's say, something else. <laughs> oh, in other words, it basically turned into Woodstock '99. No, it wasn't even Woodstock. No, it was no Woodstock '99. They were they were bathing in the in the, in the shit. It was a certain. Uh, it, it was a certain um, person we know trailer. They were bathing in. <laughs> Oh, as <laughs> in kick the uh, <laughs> Well, <laughs> all right, we got one more, right? Mom's Pisces, honey, but they might not like me after this. Pisces, honey, stuck in a canoe on the raging river that just keeps forking at every turn, going down river, but with no destination found. One must stay afloat. Continue to choose right or left, but the unforgiving rapids leaving all wet and weary. Oh, man. So enjoy all little nightmare hellscapes well, that you can't wake uh, up from. Our next, uh, our next half is really going to be a nightmare. It's the Night Stalker. Yeah. Richard Ramirez. And I'm going to tell you, you think them horoscopes were a nightmare. You ain't seen nothing yet. So if you dare stick, but I gotta give you guys some um, some warning. It's very um, we. It is very um, disturbing, gut wrenching, gut wrenching, and some of it involves uh, children. Yeah. So, uh, see you after these couple of these messages, and we'll be right back.
It's time to feel the rage. Join us on Film Rage, where we talk movies, current releases, coming attractions, streaming, and classic films as well. Directors and actors, beware as you cannot hide from the rage. My name is Bryce, and I'm part of the Film Rage crew, which also includes Jim. Hey, hey. And Murray. Yo. Why is it you always talk? All the time. I can't understand I why. This, this, voice. Is, this is the merman, the voice of reason. These two can't awesome. agree on anything most of the time. Some movies are mondo. Some are just suck. Every week, something is going to make us rage. Join us every Wednesday and feel the rage. I'm Derek, one of the hosts of Return to Oswald. Return to Oswald is a podcast about the iconic HBO show Oz. And we started it quite simply because my friend Brandon has never seen a single episode and we loved living through his horror. Scar, Brandon, and myself get together every Tuesday and discuss this show episode by episode, season by season. We have great conversations and nothing gets held back. We respect each other too much to lie. And we talk about how absurd this show really is when you look back at it. Like, how long is the time frame in Oz? People are getting executed within like three days of getting there. And why do they show people if they're just going to kill them within eight minutes? That did happen. And why hire so many rappers to play bit roles? Is there a quota? Why is there a direct pipeline between this show, The Corner, and The Wire? Oh, and The Sopranos. We didn't forget about y'all. Also, how does Adebisi's hat stay on? Why didn't anybody ever notice he had a CD player in his drawers? And why won't they put cameras up in that gym? These are all questions we talk about and more. So check us out. Go to Linktree backslash HBO RTO to find our latest episode. You can also just type us into your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for checking us out. That's me. Fucking role model. Vampires, ghosts, crazed killers, werewolves. Open shutters goes to the movies. Barry Marino and Philip Landry will discuss some of the most horrifying films Hollywood has to offer. Open Shutters goes to the movies is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, and anywhere podcasts can be heard. Enjoy the view from the silver screen, but don't make it your final credit. Okay, Philip, we are back, and uh, this week uh, is um, the next installment of our series, The Devil Made Me Do It, and we are covering the devil himself right now, incarnate, (laughs) is uh, Richard Ramirez, also known as the Night Stalker, also known as uh, the Valley Intruder, because he started off as a rapist, you know that? Yes. So, let's get with his background first. Now, Ramirez, uh, Richard Ramirez was born in El Paso, Texas on February 29th, 1960, and he was the youngest child of Julian, uh, Julian and Mercedes Ramirez. Um, his father was a Mexican national and former, um, Sudad Juarez, policeman, and he later became a laborer on the Atchison 
Topia and the Santa Fe Railroad. You know, Judy Golan sang about that. <laughs> in the movie, The Harvey Girls. Oh, goodness. So anyway, um, he, um, his father was extremely abusive. He was an alcoholic, and he was prone to fits of anger that often resulted in physical abuse, abuse between his wife and children. So 12-year-old Richard, or Richie, he used to sleep in the cemetery to get away from his father's abuse. Mm. That's kind of... That doesn't... That, that, that sounds pretty... Um, yeah, let me just go hang out with gross. the dead. Yeah, hang out with the dead. So uh, with... when he was 12 years old, he was sent to live... Uh, he, he, he started getting really influenced with his cousin Miguel, or Mike, as they called him, Mike Ramirez. And he was a Green Beret combat veteran, and he had already become a serial killer back in Vietnam. And he often boasted about the brutal war crimes he committed. And he uh, he had Polaroid photos. Did you see that in the, in the thing? Yes. Polaroid photos of the women he raped and murdered in, uh, in Vietnam. And some of them he had severed their heads, and he has a picture of them holding their heads and smiling like Mm-mm. like he just you know hunted game or something and is doing this to human beings and um, he used to show these to a 12 year old kid now come on Phil what do you think about the 12 year old kid seeing that oh that's good that, for a 12 year old mind that's going to definitely influence 12 year old mind and the funny part about it is is that uh, Richard Romero's didn't find he said he had later in interviews said that it didn't even traumatize him. It didn't bother him at all to see that. He had no. He was already a psychopath at twelve years old. Like, yeah, like that's yeah. the point. He, yeah. he was born. <laughs> We're gonna add a little insult to this injury. Miguel gets into a fight with his wife and picks out a gun and shoots her in the head and kills her right in front of Richard. And Richard just stood there staring, didn't even try to help Not her a, anything. Nothing. Like it was just a walk in the park for him. Like, yeah. Like he'd yeah. never seen this. Like he'd been used to this all his life. It was weird. So this happened on May 4th, 1973. He shot his wife, Jesse in the face with a handgun during a domestic argument. Mm-hmm. And like the graphic photos and stories of his war crimes in Vietnam, Richard Romero would later similarly, re- similarly remark while in prison seeing that seeing this event unfold wasn't traumatic. For him in any traditional sense but it fascinated him to see his wife his, his cousin kill his wife so Mike went to jail and he went to live with his older sister Ruth and her husband Roberto but Roberto is a peeping Tom <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> all kinds of insult added to injury in this in this thing and he um, he used to go around the neighborhood and peek in women's windows. And then he started taking, like, 12, 13-year-old Richard with him and yeah. taught him how to be a lawyer. He taught him how to be a Vietnam. What the hell kind of family is this? Where did these people Dysfunction come Dysfunction isn't even the word for this. It's <laughs> like malfunction. At this point, it's like utter malfunctional family, okay? It's, you know you have dysfunctional families? This is a malfunctional family. So after Mike is Mike was found non-guilty for Jesse's murder by reason of insanity, and 
he spent four years in the Texas State Mental Institution. I thought Texas was supposed to be tough on crime. I thought they were big old badasses. I didn't put up with any, any any of that stuff. You think, but then there's other times. There's certain things they just. I don't even. I don't even know what to say here. <laughs> just let things go free that should not. You know. Yeah. So, uh, Richard Ramirez, at the age of 14, he started using LSD and developed an interest in Satanism. This is where the devil made me do it comes in. I mean, I think he always had a fascination. Like, I want to hear her phrases. I think he always had a fascination with Satanism, even from a small, from small, being a small child, probably. Yeah. It just, because there's things that just do not add up. His reaction to all these things that family members were doing when he was younger, it just makes you think he was already a playground for the devil. When and when Mike got out of jail, he was he he was he was uh, doing drugs and rape with Richard and alcohol, and he was also accompanying Roberto on the nighttime walks of peeping Tomism voyeurism. Good Lord. We haven't even gotten to the murders yet. Oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the... I don't know if we said, but the documentary, one of the main documentaries is the Night Soccer on... It's it's a Night Soccer documentary on Netflix. Go check yes, it out. Yes, and that's very, very thorough. And then also, um, uh, shout-out to another podcast, Morbid, a true crime podcast with Ash and Elena. I was listening to them to do a little research too, and they have a real they have, they do a really good two part on it. But of course, we want you to listen to us first, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, he uh, he began to you know violence and rape, and when he was still in high school, and he took a job at a lo- uh, Holiday Inn, and he used his pass key to rob patrons while they were sleeping. I have to guess while they were sleeping. And one time he sexually fondled and molested two children in the elevator of the hotel. All I can say now is thank God for background checks nowadays. <laughs> like I guess background I mean, I guess people didn't think to like And he didn't even get fired until he went into a room Oh no! I okay. tried to rape some woman and a husband beat the crap out of him. Yeah, I mean, oh. he beat him up at the scene, and that's when they finally fired him. And uh, they, they he, criminal charges were were dropped when they lived out of state and declined to testify against him. I was shaking my head the whole time on 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 the Holiday Inn thing. So he dropped out of Jefferson High School in the ninth grade, and he in, at, at the age of twenty two, he moved to California, where he settled permanently. Oh, California. It's always California, isn't it? Well. Does they say the Devil's Triangle is in Southern California? Yeah. I think so. That little area of... Yeah. So, um, the first murder we know of was um, a nine-year-old Chinese-American girl named Mei Ling and in the basement of the apartment building where he was living at the time in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. And she was with her eight-year-old brother when she reportedly lost a dollar bill and went to look for it. And she ran into Richard Ramirez. Mm. And 
He approached her and told the girl he knew where the dollar was and where to find to follow him into the basement. And the child followed him down there, and he beat, strangled, and raped this little girl before stabbing her to death with a switchblade and hanging her partially nude body from a pipe by her blouse. This is his first known killing, and he wa it wasn't identified being connected to the Night Stalker until night 2009 when they found his DNA matched the sample obtained at the crime scene. And in, 2000, in 2016, officials disclosed evidence of a second suspect identified through DNA sample who is believed to have been present at her murder, at the girl's murder. Uh, so here's a... Um, Here's a list of his, um, here's some of his murders. On June 28th, 1984, 79, Jenny Vinco was found brutally, brutally murdered in her apartment at Glassell Park in Los Angeles. She had been stabbed repeatedly in the head, neck, and chest while asleep in her bed, and her throat was slashed so de deeply she was nearly decapitated. And Romero's fingerprints were found on the scene. On a mesh screen, he removed to gain access through a window. And this is his second known murder. On March 17, 1985, he attacked 22-year-old Maria Hernandez outside her home in Rosemead, California, shooting her in the face with a 22 caliber handgun after she pulled into her garage. She survived when the bullet ricocheted off the keys she held in her hands as she lifted them to protect herself. She played dead until he left. And inside the house, her roommate, Dale Yoshi Okanzi, age 34, heard a gunshot and ducked behind the counter when she saw Ramirez enter the kitchen. When she raised her head to get a look at what happened once, he shot her in the forehead, killed her instantly. Mm. She was trying to get a look at him. Ah. And then within an hour of the Rosemade invasion, he pulled 30-year-old... Sai Lang Veronica Yu out of her car in Monterey Park shot her twice with a 22 caliber handgun and fled. And she was pronounced dead upon arri arriving at the hospital. He has no kind of really MO or any kind of pattern to this. I mean, and, and his victims could be just about anyone. It, it was, little children it was to just elderly the, women. It was basically uh, the opportunity of the moment. Yeah. That's what it boiled down to. So if he felt the urge, he did whatever in the moment. That's... So in, on March 27, 1985, Ugh. he entered a home he had burglarized a year later outside of Winter, California at 2 a.m. and killed the sleeping Vincent Charles Cesara, age 64, with a gunshot to his head from a twenty-two caliber handgun. Uh, his wife, Cesara's wife, Maxine Levine Cesara, she was 44. She was awakened by the gunshot, and Romero's beat her, bound both hands, but demanded to know where her valuables were. When he ransacked the rooms, Maxine escaped and retrieved a shotgun from under the bed, which was not loaded. This infuriated Romero's, and he shot her three times with the 22, and fetched a large carving knife from the kitchen, mutilated her body. And removed her eyes with the knife. Well, that was the one with the crime scene photos that were really, really just a mess. Wasn't that the one? Yeah. Kate? I mean, I mean, all of them were kind of... He just, but I think that was the one where there was just so much blood all over the place. It was just... It was such a mess. That and most of the... According to the autopsy, most of, most of the mutations were post-mortem. Mm -hmm. And their bodies were discovered by their son. 
Romero's left a footprint from his Avia sneakers in the flower beds, which police photographed and cast. And that was the only evidence for a while. So then on May 14, 1985, he returned to Monterey Park and entered the home of Bill Doy, age 66, and his disabled wife, Lillian, age 56. He surprised Doy in the bedroom, shot him in the face with a 22 caliber automatic pistol, as Doyle went for his own handgun. After beating the mortally wounded man unconscious, he entered Lillian's bedroom, bonded her with thumb cliffs, and then raped her after he ransacked her valuables. Bill Doyle died, but died of his injuries at the while he was at the hospital. Next one is on the night of May 29, 1985. He drove a stolen car to Mor Mon Monrovia and stopped at the house of Mabel Ma Bell, age 83, and her disabled sister. Mm. Uh, Florence Nettie Lang, age 81. And he found a hammer in the kitchen, bludgeoned and bound Mabel, uh, bludgeoned and bound Florence Lang in her bedroom, and then uh, bludgeoned Abel Bell before using an electrical cord to shock the woman. And then after he raped Lang, he used Bell's lipstick to draw a satanic pentagram symbol on her thigh, mm. as well as the wall of the bedrooms. The women were found two, two, hours, two days later, alive but comatose, critically injured, and Mabel Bell died of her injuries in the hospital. And the next day, May, 20, May 30th, he drove the same car to Burbank, sneak into the home of Carol Kay, 42-year-old Carol Kay, and at gunpoint, he bound uh, Carol Kyle. I'm sorry. Yes. Read that wrong. At gunpoint, he bound Kyle and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs and ransacked the house. He released, um, he released Kyle to direct him where the family's valuables were, and he, then he raped her repeatedly. Romero's also ordered her not to look at him, telling her at one point he would cut her eyes out. He fled the scene... After retrieving the child from the closet, and he bonded, bonded the two together with handcuffs. He didn't kill them. They, they survived. On July 2nd, 1985, he drove a stolen car to Arcadia and randomly selected the house of Mary Louise Cannon, Cannon 75, a widowed grandmother. After quietly entering her home, he found her asleep in her bedroom, plunged her into unconsciousness with a lamp, and then stabbed her to death using a 10-inch butcher knife. Uh, he repeatedly stabbed her body after she was already dead, and she was found dead on, at the scene. On July 5, 1985, he broke into a home in the Sierra Madre and bludgeoned 16-year-old Whitney Benton with a tire iron as she slept in the bedroom. Okay, do, do, you, do, do you even realize this? It's not just... You were saying the victims vary, the weapons vary. Yeah, like it's just he has all of this psychopathic rage, or also demonic rage to the point anything that he can use, he's gonna use. Yeah, wow. And if that's what, that also makes him even scarier because you don't know what to expect. You knew Ted Bundy was gonna go for women with long, blonde, pretty young women, for you know. 18 to 22 with long black hair. He, he never diverted from that, you know, except for that one time when he killed a 12-year-old girl. 
Yeah, or like <coughs> in the case of the Son of Sam killings, you knew not to be outside yeah. late at night. You yeah, know, and, uh, and and a lot of the, and, you know, uh, like uh, John Wayne Gacy, it was all like young teenage boys that were either runaways or hustlers usually. And that's how he screwed up because he, he took a guy, he, he killed a kid that had parents that loved him and, and you know, that was going to college and everything. But Rich Ramirez is just going right into people's homes. Like, this is like, it's not even just like it's just simple burglary. I mean, he is meaning to do more than that, you know? I feel like the burglary stuff is just like secondary. The rape is just secondary. The real urge he has is the killings. Now, he tried to strangle Whitney Bennett with a telephone cord, and he said that he was startled to see the electric sparks emulate from the cord. And when his victim began to breathe, he fled the house believing that Jesus Christ had intervened and saved her. She survived the beating and the attempted strangulation, although she needed 478 stitches to close the lacerations on her scalp. On July 7, 1985, Ramirez burglarized the home of Joyce Lucille Nelson, 60, in Monterey Park, finding her asleep in her living room couch he beat her to death by stomping on her face repeatedly. A shoe print from his sneaker was left imprinted on her face. This is what I'm talking about. Any which form he could use to, to kill. Yeah. That's just that's just like this rage against a fellow human, even if you don't know them. Like Yeah, on the same night he goes back. He he cruises around to and two neighborhoods, it goes back to Monterey Park. Gets into the home of Sophie Dickman, a 63-year-old woman, and assaulted and handcuffed her at gunpoint. Attempted to rape her and stole jewelry, and when she swore to him that he had taken everything of value, he told her to swear to Satan. And on July 20th, 1985, he purchased a machete, and he stole a Toyota in Glendale, California. And he chose the home of Leela Kindling, age 66, and her husband, Maxon, age 68. He burst into this, this, their bedroom while they were sleeping and hacked them with the machete. Then killed them with shots he, he heard, he held, uh, shots in the head from a twenty-two caliber handgun. And he further mutilated their bodies with the machete before robbing the house of their values. And then he, when he fenced the stolen... He drove to Sun Valley, and at approximately 4.15 a.m., he broke into the home of the Kovana family. He shot the sleeping... He shot the sleeping Charong Kovana in the head with a 24 caliber handgun, killing him instantly, and then raped and beat... I can't pronounce some of these. There is some kid Kovana... And he beat the couple's eight-year-old son before dragging Samkin around the house to reveal the location of any valuables which he stole. During the assault, he demanded that she swear to Satan and that she was not hiding any money from him. August 6, 1985, he drove to Northbridge and broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson. He crept into the bedroom, startled Virginia, who was only 27, shot her in the face with a 25 caliber semi-automatic weapon, and then he shot Chris in the neck and attempted to flee. Chris fought back and avoided being hit by two more shots during the struggle before Ramirez 
uh, managed to escape, and both the couple both survived their injuries. So uh, now we get to August 8, 1985. He drove a stolen car to the Diamond Bar in California, chose the home of Sakina Atwith. Sakina Atwith. And, um... Then he handcuffed her and her husband, Al Elias Albawath. I don't know some of these names. <laughs> he handcuffed and beat Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of the family's jewelry and brutally raped her. He repeatedly demanded that she swear to Satan and that she would not scream during his assaults. When their three-year-old son entered the bedroom, he tied the child up and continued to rape her, to rape Sakina. After he left the home, Sakina untied her son Hun and sent him to the neighbors for help. She sent a three-year-old to the neighbor's house for help? That's odd. Maybe only the three-year-old could slip by. Maybe I mean, you so. got to think about it. Sometimes a little kid can slip by really quick. Yes. So, um, he had been, he followed the media coverage of, uh, uh, you know, of the, of the crimes. And then in, on August 18th, 1985, he went in the home of Peter and Barbara Pan Shot to sleep in Peter, who was 66 in the temple, killed him instantly, and then he beat and sexually assaulted Barbara, who was 62, before shooting her in the head and leaving her for dead. And at the crime scene, Ramirez used lipstick to scroll a pentagram and the phrase Jack the Knife on the bedroom wall. He left a shoe print at the scene that the detectives discovered and matched to the same pair of Avita shoes that wasn't common at the time. Leading detectives Frank Salmero and Gil Garillo, who contributed to the net that they, they contributed to the Netflix Night Stalker, and yeah. they contact the manufacturer of Avita shoes and were able to re retrieve the soles, and that's when they discovered the make and distribution across the United States, and only six of them exi existed in size eleven and a half, which happens to be my size. Five of them was shipped to Arizona, one shipped to a shoe store in Los Angeles, and it was evident that the one pair of I shoes... I occasionally wear size, 11 and a half. You normally And the size of the kind California that had belonged to Ramirez. That's how they discovered him. So when it was discovered, the ballistics, the shoe print evidence, and the Los Angeles crime scene matched the pants scene crime, San Francisco's then mayor, Diane Feinstein, divulged information, including the gun caliber in a television conference. This leak infuriated the detectives in the case as they knew the killer would follow media coverage, which gave them an opportunity to destroy crucial forensic evidence. And Ramirez, who had indeed been watching the press, dropped his size 12 of either sneakers over the side of the Golden Girl Gate Bridge. So that stupid bitch <laughs> fucked it all up for everybody. Mm -hmm. What is it about these mayors that fuck everything up? I don't know. He remained in the area. You for do a few realize days. who that was, huh? Diane Feinstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know yeah. who it was. I know yeah. who she is. <laughs> I'm pissed at her for this. I don't, I don't normally dislike her, but I'm pissed at her for this. So on August 24th, 1985, he traveled 76 miles south of Los Angeles in a stolen orange Toyota Mission Vejo, and that night he arrived at the home of James Romero who had just returned from a family vacation to Rosero, Rosarito Beach, 
Rosarito. Why are we talking about Rosarito Beach? That's, it's it's okay. a, it's a Mexico. It's it's not it's not far from to get from California. So yeah, it's it's. A, and Romito's thirteen-year-old son James Romito the third happened to be awake and heard Ramirez's footsteps outside the house. Uh, thinking it was a prowler, James went to wait his parents, and Romero's left, fled the scene. James raced outside, noticed the color and make of the car, and then he found the, he got a partial pl a plate number, and he contacted the police with the information. Yeah. And after this, he broke into the house of Bill Carnes, who was 30, and his fiancée, Inez Erickson, who's 29, through a back door. He entered their sleep, the, the, the bedroom while they were sleeping, awakened them, and he cocked a 25 caliber handgun. He shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his, his attention to Erickson. And he told her that he was a night stalker and forced her to swear to Satan. Swear she loved Satan as he beat her with his fist and bound her neck with neckties to the closet. So he was stealing whatever he could find. He dragged Erickson to another room before raping her. And then he demanded more cash and jewelry. He made her swear to Satan. And there was no more. There was no more before leaving the home. He told Erickson, tell him the night sucker was here. She untied herself, went to a neighbor's house to get help for her severely injured fiance. And the, the bullets were um, removed. And bullets were removed. And they, they both survived. So she gave a detailed description to investigators. And the police got obtained a cast of uh, Romero's footprint from the Romero house. And st the stolen car was found, and the police obtained a single fingerprint, rearview mirror, despite his careful efforts to wipe the car clean. They found the print <coughs> positively identified as belongings to Ramirez, who was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas with a long rap sheet that included many arrests for traffic, illegal drug violations. So on the 29th of August, 1985, law enforcement decided to release a mugshot of Ramirez from a 1984 arrest for car theft. So this was funny, too. Not, this isn't funny, but what happens after this is funny. On the night of June, uh, on, uh, June 27, 1985, 32-year-old Patty Elaine Higgins was murdered at an Arcadia home, and the crime was discovered... Mm. was not discovered until July 2nd. This had happened on June 27th when she did not show up for work. Her attacker had sodomized her, strangled and slashed her throat. So Ramirez was charged with burglary in relation to Higgins' murder. However, charges against him in the case were eventually dropped due to lack of concrete physical evidence linking Higgins' murder to the Night Stalker crime. So given that, Ramirez bragged to other inmates about having killed her. So uh, the the police had uh, done a press conference and they said we know who you are, and everyone else will. And did you hear see the part where he goes into a store to buy something? This is how he got caught. Oh yeah. He goes into a store to buy a, a soft drink or something. Yeah. And he sees the newspaper with his picture on it, and everybody recognizes him. And it was like that scene from um, from, what's that movie? Uh, Freaky. You remember when she he switched when the oh yeah 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 and he's was, on she's on the street she don't know and people look and then they go ah they know that that's a serial killer so anyway uh, that's how he got caught 
Don't and yeah, don't they don't like the the whole neighborhood starts like kind of like chasing him down. Yeah, so. the whole neighborhood. They, that's how they got him. One and some kid had um, a, a teenage boy I think had tackled him and got him to the ground. Exactly. So uh, it actually began. The trial began on uh, July twenty second, nineteen eighty eight. It's one it takes so long. And uh, his first court appearance, he raised his hand with a pentagram drawn on it and yelled, Hail Satan. On August 3rd, 3rd 1988, the Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard Ramirez planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun, which Ramirez intended to have smuggled into the courtroom. Well, consequently, a metal detector was installed outside and intensive searches were conducted on people entering. So on August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singley, didn't arrive at the courtroom. Later that day, mm. she was found shot to death in her apartment. The jury was terrified, wondered if Ramirez had somehow directed this event from inside his prison cell or whether he could not re reach jurors. However, it was ultimately determined that Ramirez would not be, was not responsible for Singley's death as she was shot and killed by her boyfriend who later committed suicide with the same weapon in the hotel. Yeah. So Alderman Dewar uh, replaced it. So on September 20th, 1989, he was convicted of all charges, 13 counts of murder, attempted murder, 11 sexual assaults, 14 burglaries. And during the penalty phase of the, of the trial, November 7th, 1989, he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber. He stabbed the. Uh, he he stated to reporters that the death sentence is big deal. Death will all always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. <laughs> God. I never fully understood that line. See you in Disneyland. Maybe he thinks they're gonna have a Disneyland animatronic about all over him like they do with the presidents. I don't know. I don't know. And the trial cost one point eight million which at the time made the most expensive in California history until surpassed by Joe J. Simpson. And so in court, in, 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 he, has, he winds up getting married. Oh. He started getting letters from Doreen Loy, who wrote him 75 letters during his incarnation in 1988. And he proposed to Loy, and then on October 3rd, 1996, they were married at, at San Quentin Prison. And for many years, didn't you have death, a term for her? Yeah, a serial hag. A serial hag. Yeah. Okay. Actually, it comes from Joan Rivers. Oh, because it's Joan Rivers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and she she used to say that when they when they they executed Ramirez, she was going to commit suicide. But she eventually left him in two hundred in two thousand nine after the DA confirmed he had raped and murdered. The nine-year-old girl. When she found out he murdered the nine-year-old girl, she didn't want anything to do with him. And by the time of his death, he was engaged to a girl named Christine Lee, a 21-year-old writer. He tried to appeal his uh, his death sentence, and no, no can do. Now, um, a psychiatrist, Michael H. Stone, described him as uh, as a made psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. And he says Ramirez's schizoid personality disorder contributed to his indifference to suffering and his victims and, and his untreatability. He also stated that Ramirez was knocked unconscious and almost died on multiple occasions 
Wait, they he was call him a maid psycho instead well, of. Well, he a, had two beards. Well, isn't that what a sociopath is? But I thought he was both anyway. No, 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 no. He's not a, a maid psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. Yeah, but that's what a psychopath he was six is normally years old, born. He had uh, two really, really bad head traumas. Oh, which okay, which is which more the bio could destroy yeah. parts of the brain that makes you you make your choices. That's what like he means. That. Okay, okay. All right. That doesn't excuse any of it. So no, 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 no. I'm just Richard Ramirez can never get out of jail because he's dead. He died uh, of complications uh, secondary to B cell lymphoma, 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 the cancer, right? Yes, yes. And at uh, at Marin General Hospital in Greenbee, California, on June seventh, nineteen two thousand thirteen. And he's also been affected by chronic substance abuse, and he had hepatitis C viral infection. He was 53 year old, years old and had been on death row for more than 23 years. He probably would have been in his early 70s before his execution was carried out due to California's lengthy appeal process. So, we're going to talk a little bit about this guy. What uh, What is your take on this dude? So, no matter how you term it, yeah, like... The idea of psychopath, yes, we got that. So, fitting it with what our theme is, the devil made me do it. Yeah, well, yeah. I got a couple of things to say about that, too, yeah. This case is very different than, say, the two we've done before. In the case... This is like a lone kind of servitude to Satan. Which gets a little confusing because some people are going to be like, oh, was he just deluded? Or was it really Satan? The point is, does it really matter when you're sitting there saying, hail Satan and you're telling the victim, swear to Satan, you set an allegiance, whether you're formally doing it in ritual or not, you've set an allegiance. Well, the thing is, uh, the thing I, I see about all of this, one thing, they, okay, for one thing, he, he said that he loved the, the band ACDC. And it was one of the songs he says inspired him to do all this killing. And at that time, that's when all these, like, like uh, uh, Christian, uh, were trying to get the, they were blaming the band ACDC for this. And then you'll have like the, the you know you know like the oh and the Christians because of all that went down in the seventies and all that was going on they were searching for what then eventually became known as the Satanic Panic they were searching for someone to blame at every corner yeah. as being for Satan so I am going to say the Richard Ramirez case did not help that situation at all no. and they were going to yeah you're right whether it be ACDC. Black Sabbath. They well, were they looking did, for all these bands to they blame. They didn't like rock and roll music, so that, they didn't, they went a scapegoat. So they say, "Oh, it makes people go out and murder people." Well, how many fans do AC, does ACDC have? Do, how many of them go murdering people? This percentage wise, yeah, the only thing small. I see, the only one I know of, is this one. You know, there you go. So that tells you it's not what. If you were blaming it on the band, shouldn't it be more people, right? Doing exactly, the killing, yeah. then there wasn't. Um, 
And, and that just goes back to the idea of what I always say. You know, honestly, you cannot fault artists and entertainment creators for the actions of a psychopath. Yeah. I mean, they've tried to all, they've been trying to do that. And you can't censor art. You just can't censor art. If we start censoring And you art, can't legislate morality either. I mean, right. And it's I mean, all, you can make sure people don't get murdered. You can make sure people don't have their things stolen from and them. And part of legislating that morality is we cannot tell people of a certain religious faith that is not our own that they are evil, wrong, and they deserve to be in prison or locked up. And that's kind of where a lot of the Christians were trying to go, and this conservative Christians in the 80s were trying to brand all Satanist and witch practitioners of witchcraft who may not be Satanists and other, any kind of magical practice, they were, I mean, they were even, get this, they were conservative Christians going after yoga practitioners. In oh, the they were 80s. going after Perry Potter in the 2000s. Well, no, no, no. Let's just keep it to the 80s I'm talking about. They were going after certain yoga practitioners, branding them as servants of Satan. So the satanic panic reached a level of such insanity. But a lot of it does boil down to the sphere of what Richard Ramirez caused. And I think at one level he gloated in that fear. Yeah. He relished in that, in that fear. And um, it, it, the, his he he had he was really I got he is the most unpleasant person. For one thing, from some, some reports and some things that I've heard, he never brushed his teeth. To me, he's like the Mad Hatter of um, serial killers. He's he's just he's a I, I I don't think I've ever met a person more unpleasant than this man. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's mind boggling, and why some women. We'd want to marry him and say she's going to commit suicide when he gets... The only reason why she divorced him is because she found out he killed a child. And she didn't want anything to do with him after that. But, I mean... And what I'm saying is, too, I mean, this is another devil made me do it. You know, oh, it's a satanic thing. The man had... Did you see his, his, his early life? He... He can't use anything as a scapegoat. He's crazy. It was nothing spiritual. It's mental illness, and oh, it's definitely and, and bad and, and 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 bad breeding. That's what it is. It's plain and simple like that. Yeah. You know, it's not. I I can't go around saying, oh. Oh, you know, he did satanic stuff, so that made him do that. Oh, and it, it, you know, I mean, he was abused as a child. No, because in all honesty, at the end of the day, anybody that really knows about, you know, Satan, Satan, actual Satanism, the church, anything like that, in all honesty, you still have your free will to a level. Yeah. And the Church of Satan actually would never agree in the manner in which he was doing things, you know? Um, Nobody's going to murder people because Anton LaVey is a Satan. Or was a Satanist because he's he dead now, <laughs> right? So that's just where I'm kind of getting at. Is like, why Richard Ramirez will always be this enigma in the culture of crime and serial killing? Is what was he really? 
there's a level he was a product of the society he was a product of his own psychosis he was influenced well, he was shown pictures when he was 12 years old of his cousin who he admired who he looked up on pictures of him holding seven heads of women in Vietnam he had murdered of, of, of villagers he saw his cousin shoot his wife in the head over an argument, over nothing, right in front of him. I mean, those things have to have a big old part in that, you know? The strange part for me, though, here, outside of the whole demonic thing, is it's just, I think I kind of mentioned before, but just like there's no normal pattern of premeditation with him. His there's no normal pattern of anything. His whole him. premeditation came down to the level of saying, I'm going out. I'm murdering whatever's available, whatever goes on. The first person, the first thing, the first... I'm just going with it. It was... It, it's almost... It's probably one of the most... And this is not a positive thing, the way I'm saying this. It's a very pure form of rage, primordial, like almost animalistic, in a sense, that we don't see with some of these other killers. So his psychosis almost connects to this really, really dark animal psychosis within us as human beings. Oh. And at a sense, this is where I say this, even though he has free will, that free will is encouraged in his body, his mind, which I believe was possibly a playground for 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 some form of evil. And then there's another thing. He started using uh, you know, hallucinogenic type of drugs and before his mind was really formed. And what that usually does, have you ever noticed have you ever seen my my late husband was a psych counselor and he said he noticed this about like the hustlers in the French Quarter. They're children. They're, they could be 40 years old, but they still act like 13-year-old boys. Yep. And he thinks that, and a lot of them started drinking at that age. And he always said that he thought that whenever someone starts drinking or doing drugs, whatever age it is, that's where they stay forever. Makes sense. Because these boys, they have no, these guys, these guys, these men, really, have no sense of maturity. They can't hold a job. They can't go to work. They, that's how they wind up homeless. They wind up, you know, sleeping with old men to, to get, just to take a shower sometimes. So, you know, it's just, it's, it, 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 the drugs had something to do with it too. Because there is something, I mean, a lot of it probably was a game to him. Oh, everything really was a game. And the people he game. killed were just like, like pawns. It was like you're shooting people in a video game. That's what it was to him. That's probably the best explanation to put towards. Yeah. So anyway, um, this is a uh, this is really this has been one of the more disturbing ones. To uh, I've, I've done a little more, a, a lot of research on this. A Wikipedia page is great. It said this is the most thorough Wikipedia page I've ever seen. And I had uh, thank you Ash and Elena for doing such a great podcast. You helped me a lot with this too. And of course that wonderful Netflix documentary. Yes. So you have any last parting words about this? Sometimes, even though we must blame the human, the mind sometimes can still be the devil's playground. 
Yeah, and but I don't. I'll, I'll say it again. I don't think this was anything spiritual. I think this was a bad environment that he grew up in. I think a lot of it had to be doing with genetics because his father was an abuser. And I'm not disagreeing with anything you said. Violent added. background. I am agreeing with everything you're saying. I'm just adding. Once you open up something, sometimes that gives certain things a license. Yes. Well, you know, when they break the taboo, that's what they say about an abusive husband. Once he does that first slap, that breaks the taboo. So anyway, um, uh, I want to also bring up that we have a second podcast called Open Shows Go to the Movies. We just... We just reviewed The Exorcist, and it's available. <laughs> it's not available on Apple yet. We got to get it on Apple, so you guys got to go on Spotify and listen to it. So we get enough listens to where they'll put us on Apple. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at a shutters, and you can follow Open Shutters Goes to the Movies on Twitter's at a Barry Marino five, which I really and truly hate that. I really and truly had. I wish I had a different address for that. But I have to start a whole new page and get the followers. And I already got like 150 followers, so I don't want to. I don't want to start over again. Um, our um, our Facebook business page is uh, Open Shutters, a creepy podcast. Our Facebook group page is the official page for Open Shutters, a creepy podcast. And Open Shutters Goes to the Movies Facebook group is Open Shutters Goes to the Movies. That's simple enough, right? But email for both podcasts is openshutters at yahoo.com. And Instagram for both podcasts is at openshutterspodcasts. Um, anything else to not forget? Uh, we still haven't gotten the, the Cafe Press thing together, but we, we'll get you guys on, in on that when yep. we do. All right, until we meet again, enjoy the view from the open shutters. But don't fall out the window. Unless you go around in the strange people's houses and kill them. Then you can fall out of any window you want. (laughs) Night, everybody. Vampires, ghosts, crazed killers, werewolves. Open shutters goes to the movies. Barry Marino and Philip Landry will discuss some of the most horrifying films Hollywood has to offer. Open Shutters Goes to the Movies is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, and anywhere podcasts can be heard. Enjoy the view from the silver screen, but don't make it your final credit. <laughs>